Okay, let's do it. Hi, I'm Chris. Hi, I'm Hannah, and this is Thin Blue Crime, a true crime podcast for your friendly neighborhood abolitionists. This week, we are going to be starting off with a new little segment just to kind of keep things a little light in the beginning, because obviously we're talking about some heavy subjects. So we're going to be starting off with the segment Cops in the Culture. And Chris, take it away. Yeah, as Hannah said, something a little lighter. Uh, but I think still serious in that it shows the far reach of our police state that it really is in every part of our lives. So let's talk about Lana Del Rey's cop boyfriend. I love it. Uh, I love it. <laughs> this is a little bit older. Their relationship dated from September 2019 to March 2020. Uh, however, I think still incredibly relevant. His name was Sean Larkin. And it's funny, I didn't really like know much about them as a couple but i was like seeing on twitter like lana del rey with a cop no i feel like she tried to keep it a little quiet because like i don't know it's not cute to date cops necessarily you know i was like okay so let's see what she posted june 2020 like is there a black square like i need to know was there a black her social media is gone i'm like oh i wonder if this happened around the time of the cop well, because they broke up in March 2020. I was going like, to say, if you said that they broke up, which breaking up at the mi- beginning of the pandemic, very chic. Save yourself the stress. Like, honestly, imagine going through the pandemic, going through summer 2020 with a cop boyfriend. I just feel like that does not it sound pleasant. Would have been a hard time. So what I didn't know, I, I didn't know anything about him. But what I didn't know is that he's like a... A cop liberty, like really, he was on Live PD on A and E, so you know, like a fancy call. Yeah, well, on Live PD, that's are they the one that records in like South Carolina? They have a few different precincts. He was in Oklahoma. Okay. okay. Um. Well, he was yeah. He was in Oklahoma. He was in between like LA, Oklahoma, and New York. Uh, Very glam. Show Very glam. <laughs> allegedly is meant to encourage transparency. And that it shows live footage of cops. People um, can't see me rolling my eyes right now, but <laughs> the way I'm rolling my eyes, because like, yeah, they want TV cameras recording them, but God forbid we get body cameras. God exactly. I'm like, forbid. oh yeah, transparency. transparency. Yeah, they don't. They okay. know they're being live streamed the entire time. So there's, there's a slight delay in case something gruesome happens. Um as if policing in of itself isn't gruesome, whatever. I will say, I've seen episodes, I don't think I've seen episodes of Live PD before, but Cops was another one, right? Like back mm-hmm. in the day. I mm-hmm. used to see episodes of that and like the cops were like really nice to the people. And I'm like, I've never seen a cop be nice to anyone that they were like pulling over. Literally like, I, never. Like, not even like if I'm riding my bike and a road is blocked and I'm like, hey, can I go through this one? They like act annoyed that I asked. No, they're like, how dare you? How dare you on your bike? The first interaction that I can remember with a cop was my dad being pulled over in our minivan. And for whatever reason, my mom was in the back seat Mm -hmm. and they pulled us over. They were giving my dad like a really hard time because like, where'd you get this minivan? Because, you know, obviously black men, they don't afford a minivan. No. What? And they gave him such a hard time until my mom leaned forward and they could Mm. see the white woman in the car. And suddenly it was like mask off, like very, oh, we're so sorry for bothering you. Well, we're going to let you go back on your way. Like the way that cops will switch things up when people are watching. 
is crazy. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You think it'll be good for cop's image? Just say propaganda, bestie. It's literally propaganda. It's literally propaganda. Cops, culture, code name, copaganda. Literally copaganda. An A&E spokesperson was asked about the criticisms of the show, which seemed outside of like abolitionist kind of like criticism of Mm -hmm. the show. The main criticism was that it's showing these people that are in like in their lowest moment in the worst parts of their life and it's not always the case it's you know we know how cops work yeah. a lot of the times these people haven't even done anything yeah not that they should be ostracized if they have but in a lot of times they haven't even done anything uh and an any spokeswoman said live pds follows news gathering standards like any news organization your local nightly news show or newspaper or newspaper would in covering a story not um, all outcomes are known or final all says subjects are presumed innocent unless proven guilty in the court of law but the audience never finds out what happens to those who are arrested yeah i mean that's the thing first of all presumed innocent has never happened like ever but also this idea that well we uphold media standards but we've seen the way that the media and police function together. And that's not exactly a standard. That's not a gold star standard. You know what I'm saying? Like we talked in our last case, the media let Drew Peterson run all over the news being like, I didn't kill my wife or my other wife. Like I'm also like A&E, your live news now? Like that's your category? It's literally, uh, what does it say? It's something and entertainment. Like, Yeah, I don't know what the A stands for. I don't if know. you out there, if you out there know what the A stands for, let us know. Let us know. <laughs> I should also note that I'm quoting from an article in the New York Times by Lindsay Underwood titled "Policeman, Reality Star, Recent Ex-Boyfriend." Great journalism. I excellent work. I do have to wonder though, like when this guy became a cop, I don't think he thought I'm going to be a cop. I'm going to be a TV star. And I'm going to be Lana Del Rey's boyfriend. You know what? He actually said he became a cop because he grew up in the Bay Area in the 80s and 90s. And there were so many gangs that he was like, I must join an anti-gang unit. So he worked for the Tulsa, Oklahoma Police Department anti-gang unit. And like Tulsa, what a place to do it. Like he apparently went to Tulsa with their spotless history of like okay. well let's get into that like i so, mean the first thing i do is like let's look up tulsa oklahoma anti-gang unit Ooh, first thing i see viral video of tulsa oklahoma anti-gang unit brutalizing a teen for jaywalking you heard it here first folks lana del rey's cop ex-boyfriend brutalizing teens oh my god like i I mean he wasn't on the allegedly he probably wasn't there but 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 those are his besties those are lana del rey was literally quoted saying like or or he might have been quoted saying like oh yeah we go to like his co-workers uh like super bowl parties when we're in oklahoma it's just really normal just really normal you know people just go into work they beat up black people and then they go home and watch football which i could go on a whole tyrant against the nfl but i won't that is a that is a whole issue for another day it's not that lana delay was like some sort of beacon of 
political correctness or like political knowledge in general. But it's just, I think people nowadays, they have celebrities that they look up to. And when they see that their celebrity faves don't align with their morals and views, it's shocking. And my very last thing we can end off this story (laughs) with, just because this quote was too good to not include. Uh, I read it and wanted to vomit. So when Sean Larkin, also known as Sticks, Sean, quotation marks, Sticks Larkin. That's the cop in question, right? Okay. mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Was asked about how he felt about attending the Grammys and being so photographed and so highly publicized. His response was, we drive cars 120 miles per hour. And I don't want to sound like a tough guy, but I mean... When you're behind a known shooting suspect and he jumps out of a car running and you've got to get out chasing him, the Grammys, by comparison, were more tame. Sir, sir, first of all, we drive cars 120 miles an hour. You shouldn't. You well, should you not. Actually. Also, you're like, when someone's running away from me and I have to chase them with a gun, I'm like, they're running away, sir. They're running, they're running away. away. Like, he just described several crimes. In that one quote, like, well, when I'm committing crime out in the workforce, that's way scarier than when I'm at the Grammys. Like, and it's so funny that he even brings up the 120 miles per hour thing, because like, that's one of the things as I've been like looking through cases to talk about, like so many people have just been hit by cars, hit by the police Mm. and like they don't get anything. If you, fun fact, you get hit by the police, they're going to blame it on you and you get nothing. So if you see Lana Del Rey's cop boyfriend out there speeding, not even just speeding, if you see him in his car, better watch out because he's going 120 miles an hour. Just know that was his PR training for the Grammys. That was his PR training. Like, I wonder what his like non-PR response would have been. Literally, who got him him media trained? Like, I just want to talk. Like, what if he hadn't had media training? Like, what was he going to say? Like, oh, well, when I'm shooting innocent people, that's when I'm beating up. When I'm going after my thugs. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) Anyway, don't date cops. It's 2022. Grow up. You can filter them out on all of the dating apps. And you should. Please. Because That's not what we meant when we said fuck the police. At all. At all. Probably won't even be good. They can't. They they are struggling to do a lot. I'm sure that they're going to struggle in the bedroom, too. Like, it's just not. It won't be worth it. It won't be worth it. It won't be worth it. On that note, we're going to take a little break. (laughs) And then we're going to come back with our episode this week, which is a doozy. It's, It's a lot. So we'll be right back. So this week we will be talking about Stephanie Lazarus, a good cop who murdered a woman out of jealousy and used her position as a cop and her knowledge of police investigations to cover it up. Have you heard about this case before? Have not heard a thing about this case. Where is it? So this is in California, in the L.A. area. Um, And it's a big case because it was a cold case for over 20 years. Um, there's actually a Law and Order SVU episode about this. If you're a Law and Order SVU person, 
I was for a very long time. Once I realized it was copaganda, I didn't enjoy it as much. That's what I was about um, to say. Talk about copaganda. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I was a big law and order person, but I think once, first of all, I was like a victim of a crime and I realized that like, whoa, the police don't actually care about you when you're a victim mm-hmm. of the crime. But also like I realized that it was just feeding this narrative of like the police solve crimes and help people. I just couldn't be as into it anymore. But I used to really like this episode, actually. Um, in the episode... There is an FBI agent who is friends with Olivia and Stabler and decades before had murdered someone and then had covered it up. And then Olivia and Stabler solved the crime. So little sneak peek to what we're about to talk about. Um, part of why I wanted to talk about this case in particular is because it's such a big contrast to the last episode. Mm. With Drew Peterson, he's a piece of shit. He's a bad cop. He had a history of being a bad cop. When people say things like, oh, well, it's just a few bad apples. They're talking about people like Drew Peterson. Like right. he was not good. But they're not necessarily talking about people like Stephanie Lazarus. She had a great reputation on the police force. When it was revealed she committed these crimes, people in her community were shocked because she was a good cop. I I don't even think she had any like write-ups on her record. Like she had a spotless record. So I think that this case illustrates that even these good cops can commit terrible crimes and use their knowledge as police officers to get away with it. Kind of going back to this idea that there are not good cops. All cops are bad. There's like no way to be a part of it. I mean, at the very least, you're enforcing an unjust system. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we're going to get into like part of how she was able to get away with it for so long. And it's it's, it's what we're always saying. But kind of jumping in, Stephanie Lazarus grew up in Simi Valley, California, in a middle class family. As with the last case, there is nothing in her history to indicate anything other than a normal childhood. In interviews, her brother said that they often would stay out late playing with the other neighborhood kids and that at night her family would watch the Partridge family together. Mm. In the 1970s, Stephanie went to UCLA to study political science. According to her college friends, she was very involved on campus. She built a big community around herself, particularly with student athletes, particularly John Rutten. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. John Rutten, a mechanical engineering student that was living in her dorm. I'm sorry, how do you go to UCLA and study political science and turn out a cop? Well, this was the 70s. This was the late 70s, early 80s. But still, that was a radical time. Like, Yeah, well, let's remember, some people go and study political science and are Republicans. (laughs) And you got me there. Anyway, Stephanie was very flirtatious with John. She would steal his clothes while he showered, taking pictures of him while he slept. A lot of flirtatious behavior. And apparently it wasn't like not received well. Like it wasn't like a weird stalker situation. But John does insist that while they were in college, they were just fooling around. However, after college, they did begin a sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to put this out there now. I am not condoning what Stephanie did at mm-hmm. all. But when we talk about this crime, we need to talk about how it could have been avoided. And one of the first things that could have been avoided is John properly communicating with Stephanie throughout their relationship. The two of them entered this sexual relationship together that lasted four years. 
but John did not tell her that he was also seeing other women. Stephanie believes that they were in a relationship and he was fully dating other women at the time. Mm -hmm. At one point, she even threw him a surprise birthday party while he was dating the woman he would later marry, Sherry Rasmussen. Sherry Rasmussen was a nurse from Walla Walla, Washington. Her family described her as kind and gentle, hardworking and compassionate. She entered college at 16, fully determined to be a nurse. And by 29, she was already the nursing director at a hospital, which that's like she finished nursing school at 20. So in nine years to become a nursing director, that's really impressive. And it shows her dedication to the work she was doing. Um, Everything I read about her was glowing, which Mm. obviously when people die, you're not going to say the bad stuff. But like, I think her work kind of speaks for itself. Um, she met John in 1984 and they were engaged within a year. By this time, Stephanie had become a patrol officer for the LAPD. A lot of her friends were actually surprised when she joined the police force, but she wanted to help people. That was her whole thing. She thought policing was a way to do that. When she heard John was engaged, which let's conceptualize for a second. She, in her mind, had a four year long relationship with this man. He meets a woman and within a year is engaged to her. I'd feel a little ill, personally. Yeah. And they were together like all of college, right? They were just fooling around, according to John, all of college. Oh, but yeah, like they had. Oh, we I mean, all I'm going to get to that. Too, I'm going to get to that in a second. So when she heard John was engaged, she begged him to come over and professed her love to him, telling him to choose her and saying that she had deeper feelings for him than Sherry ever could. And the couple actually ended up having sex that night to give her closure, according to John. But obviously he did go back to Sherry. Now, again, not excusing Stephanie's crimes, Mm -hmm. but you've been with someone for eight years. And he becomes engaged to someone that he's known for a single year, sleeps with you after you profess your love to him, and then still leaves you to go marry the other woman. I'd get, I'd be a little unhinged. I'd be a little unhinged. I'd need to seek psychiatric help for something like that. Yeah, no, that would that would mess me up for sure. And interestingly enough, Stephanie did seek out some emotional support at this time. Mm -hmm. Stephanie talked repeatedly about the situation to her roommate, who was a fellow police officer. Now, obviously, I don't know how those conversations went, but I do wonder if her fellow officer encouraged her to go to counseling to deal with these feelings, because these are big feelings. A man you are in love with who you have known for eight years is marrying someone he has known for a year. That is anyone would feel very emotional about that situation. That is something that you should seek some sort of emotional support for. Obviously this cop roommate was not the right type of emotional support she needed, but like that's something to go to therapy for. And I don't say that in a judgmental way at all. Like I would go to therapy for that. I would. Yeah, absolutely. That is so much to swallow on you a professional would be great and like i feel like her roommate should have encouraged her to do that i know it's the 80s and like people don't really do therapy back then i would assume based on how gen x behaves but like she needed support that she clearly did not get 
Stephanie would eventually begin stalking Sherry. And again, I don't know what the conversations she had with her roommate were, but he acknowledged that she was obsessed with John and Sherry and their relationship. Oh, and her her roommate was a man as well. Yeah, her roommate was a man. Um, Which I feel like is relevant. It, it, it is. It just, yeah. It is. I think, I mean, I think he's less likely to encourage her to get the emotional support that she needed. But I find it hard to believe that he had no idea that she was stalking Sherry. Mm-hmm. Um, just from what i've read it seems like they talked about the situation a lot but you know assume best intentions i guess maybe he didn't but he did know that stephanie was obsessed with sharing and personally i don't think someone behaving like that should have access to a firearm i don't think that they should be in a position of power like she was as a police officer Mm -hmm. i think that might have been a time for her to step away for a little bit and seek the help that she needed i think her roommate should have encouraged her to do that we might be in a different position today had that happened right to know that someone's obsessed and that someone also wields that power like i feel yeah he had a certain responsibility yeah anyway long after john ended the relationship with stephanie officially stephanie was still showing up to their apartment to john and sherry's apartment sometimes it was for little things like asking for help one time she showed up saying she needed help getting her skis waxed other times she was just there to harass sherry right in 1985 shortly before sherry and john's wedding stephanie showed up to sherry's workplace and aggressively confronted her telling her that she had slept with john and that if she couldn't have john no one else could i believe i read that her roommate the police officer did know about this incident Sherry asked John to tell Stephanie to stop coming by, but John said there was nothing to worry about and to just ignore it. However, it's hard for Sherry to ignore when Stephanie is just showing up at her workplace, showing up at the gym, showing up at shops she frequented. Right. Talk about responsibility. Like, John should have said something to her. Absolutely. Sherry ended up confiding in her father that she felt like Stephanie was stalking her but I did not see any record that it was at any point reported to the police. And she did eventually marry John in November of 1985. In February of 1986, John left for work. Sherry was scheduled to give a motivational speech at work that day, but it was something that she didn't feel like doing. And so to avoid that, she told John she might call in sick. Um, She had a back injury the day before, that she had gotten from working out. So she was going to use that as an excuse to call in throughout the day. Sherry received several unanswered calls and around noon, two gardeners found her purse and a maid cleaning nearby said that she heard what sounded like two people fighting, but she thought it was a simple domestic dispute. So she didn't call anyone about it. Mm. When John returned from work, he found that the garage door was open There was broken glass in the driveway. Sherry's BMW was missing and her body was on the living room floor. There were a lot of signs of struggle. There were broken items around the apartment. There were handprints near their burglar panic button. And Mm -hmm. Stephanie had been shot three times and had a bite mark on her arm. The LAPD 
quickly concluded that Sherry was killed in a burglary gone wrong. Stereo components were stacked near the door as if they were like being moved out and the drawers had all been opened up. However, nothing had really been taken from the home. The only thing that was missing was Sherry's BMW, which was an engagement present from John, and the couple's marriage license. There was another burglary that had been reported in the same area, and the suspects had allegedly been seen carrying a gun that could have been similar to the one that Sherry was killed with. So that is, according to the LAPD, why they made the decision to classify it as a burglary gone wrong. But again, the only things that were stolen were the marriage license and the car. And who steals a marriage license? Like, that is the most, like, sure sign that this is personal. So the detective on the case did ask the ask John about the couple's inner circle. And John kind of mentioned Stephanie, but didn't mention that Stephanie had been showing up to the apartment or to their condo. It didn't mention that Stephanie had been stalking Sherry. It didn't mention any of that. It was just like, oh, yeah, and I have this friend. Sherry's parents, however, pushed the police to look into Stephanie, whose name they didn't know at the time, but they did know that there was a police officer who was John's ex who had been harassing Sherry, and they went to the police about it, and the police would not listen. They told Sherry's father that he probably just watched too much TV, and they focused on the burglary gone wrong angle. Unfortunately, that went nowhere. The suspected burglars remained at large despite newspaper coverage. Sherry's family offered a reward and still nothing came up. As time went on, the police just stopped devoting time to the case. And some important context, this is L.A. in the late 80s. The police were focused on the crack epidemic. They were focused on gang violence. Now, had the CIA not pushed crack into black neighborhoods and caused a lot of the violence in these communities, maybe the police would have had time to actually investigate Sherry's murder, but... Literally caused the gangs, but... That's a story. We're going to get to all of that eventually, but that's what's going on at the time, and the police just did not feel like Sherry's case was going anywhere, and they had other things to worry about. The lead detective on the case eventually retired, and the new detective told Sherry's family he did not think any new leads would emerge. And in 1993, Sherry's father offered to pay for DNA testing for the murder now that the technology was available, but the police told him that they would need a suspect for that, and so the case went cold. And it's also, were they too busy, or did they know? It's one of their officers. We'll see. We'll see. Meanwhile... Stephanie continued her career as a police officer. In 1987, she earned medals at the World Police and Fire Games in San Diego. She worked for several years on the anti-drug D.A.R.E. program. D.A.R.E. To not do drugs. I really want one of those t-shirts. Anyway, um, she also did a stint at Internal Affairs, which is very ironic. She eventually became a detective in 1993 and was also an instructor at the police academy specializing in research techniques and computer skills. She also continued her relationship with John for a short period of time after Sherry's death. Eventually, they did move on, but John has said that they slept together at least twice after Sherry died, was murdered. I shouldn't say died. She was murdered by the woman now sleeping with her husband. 
And also, John, like, and I have no suspicions. Like, what? I just, I don't believe that John had no suspicions. I don't. People handle grief differently. Maybe he really didn't want to believe it was her. I don't know. But that is the last we'll be hearing of John for a while. Because Sherry moves on. She marries another LAPD officer in 1996. They adopt a daughter. And eventually, she is put on the LAPD art theft detail, which was a big deal. There was only two people that were working on that, her and another person. And she received a lot of recognition for the work she did on this. Um, She solved several high-profile cases, including the theft of a large bronze statue from a public park. Another story I read about her talked about how one of her investigations transformed from an art theft case into an elder abuse case. And she actually ended up arranging the funeral for the victim and rounded up detectives to go to the service. And I mentioned this because I do still want to highlight that Stephanie Lazarus is not who people think of when they say, well, police, there's just a few bad apples. Right. I mean, she planned a funeral for a stranger like that's not necessarily someone we think of as like this evil force and i'm again i'm not excusing her actions i'm not saying that she's a good person but it does make me wonder if she'd gotten the support she needed would she have committed this crime i mean i think like the complicated feelings are practice and abolition as well in that there aren't good or bad people yeah other things about her, she worked to get other police officers childcare. She made homemade soap for her neighbors. She did not have a single civilian complaint on her record, but she still committed this crime and got away with it for 20 years. By the time she was working on the art theft unit, it had been 20 years since the murder. And I mean, I'm sure she thought she was in the clear. I'm sure she thought that they were never going to figure this out. Right. Um, And I do wonder, like, how much guilt she felt. That's what I wonder, too. I wonder, like, how much she was carrying with her. And I wonder how she's, like, maybe grown and changed since then. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's why she worked so hard to be a good cop. Because Mm -hmm. she felt guilt about what Mm -hmm. she had done. It, It makes you wonder. It makes you wonder. 2001. The LAPD forms the Cold Case Homicide Unit to look through forensic evidence collected from old cold cases and determine whether any new leads could be found with DNA testing. I want to be clear, the LAPD did this because they were under intense scrutiny at the time, and they were like, well, if we solve some cases, maybe people won't hate us as much. That's great context because I'm like, why would they do that? Yeah, no, they were like very desperate to solve cases because they were just being ripped apart as they should have been. Think about what the LAPD did in the like late 90s. Right. Because there was DNA in Sherry's murder, because if you remember, she had the bite. Mm -hmm. They thought that her case would be good to look back over. But interestingly enough, some of the evidence related to this case was not located where it was supposed to be including the DNA sample. We'll come back to that. When the sample was eventually located and tested in 2004, it did not match any DNA in the FBI criminal database, though it did reveal that the attacker was a woman. 
the woman who was handling the DNA analysis told her supervisors that she thought they should look back at Stephanie, but they did not listen and the case went cold again. We're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back to both of these interesting little details. Okay, so where we left off, they had tested the DNA. It tested for a woman, but they didn't want to look back into Stephanie. However, 2009, the LAPD, again, to try to make themselves look better, jumps back into cold cases. And two detectives look at Sherry's case again, and they decide with the new DNA evidence, they're going to start the investigation from the beginning because a female suspect doesn't really align with the idea of a botched burglary. Mm. And looking at the case again, they begin to think that the burglary was staged to throw off the police. Many aspects of the crime didn't make sense for a break-in, especially one committed in broad daylight. Because remember, this happened like noon in the middle of the day, in the middle of the work day. Right. So some of the details that didn't really make sense. Sherry's jewelry box, which was in plain view on top of her dresser, had not been touched. The condo was in the middle of a gated community surrounded by other units from which the burglars could have expected to be easily observed, but also they didn't touch any of these other condos. The front door to the condo had an alarm warning and it had not been forced open, something you would have expected if it was burglars going into the home. Also, a lot of the forensic evidence looked like it had been staged. For example, the electronics stacked at the door. Do you remember that? If they had been stacked before Sherry came in, they would have been knocked over in the struggle. Yeah. Yes. They would have knocked into And honestly, if they had time to stack the electronics, wouldn't they have just carried them out too? Exactly. Also, on top of the record player that was like on the top of the stack, there was a thumb-shaped blood stain that had no print suggesting that whoever left it was wearing gloves to avoid leaving any sort of identifying things. Mm-hmm. But it had Sherry's blood on it, suggesting that the equipment had been stacked after the struggle. Oh. You're a burglar. Why are you, you just ac- accidentally, allegedly, accidentally killed someone and you're going to waste time stacking, putting on gloves to stack up Right, you're not freaking equipment. out right now and running out because that's not what you meant to do? Yeah. Detectives realize all of this has been left behind to make the crime look like something other than what it really was, which was a pre-planned murder. When they re-examined possible subjects and saw Stephanie connected to the case, they were shocked because at this point, Stephanie is a well-known art thefts detective. But as they looked at the investigation more, everything clicked. Another detective remembered that at the time of the murder, most LAPD officers had a preferred type of gun that they carried off duty. And that in some cases they were even required to have that type of gun. And records show that Stephanie had that type of gun and had reported it stolen in Santa Monica, which was not her police department. Uh So she reported this 
gun stolen 13 days after the murder in a police department that's not hers. So anyone investigating this crime wouldn't have known that she'd reported this gun stolen. I wonder how premeditated this was because this is for a cop and clearly like a smart person to like be moving up like this in the ways that she was. I mean, not that smart people always are the ones that are moving up in cops, but like it, she knew what I she just was wonder. doing. Yeah, she knew what she was doing. She it seems like she should have been able to get away with it more. You know, in in some ways, she kind of got unlucky that she yeah. didn't because the only reason that cops looked back in this case, if she hadn't bit, if she had not bit Sherry, none of this would have ever been solved. And that's the only reason why I'm like maybe it wasn't necessarily premeditated because. She, like that's a heat that's a heat of the moment decision that's what i was thinking well planned out every other aspect of covering up this crime seemed to be to use your own gun yeah but then to throw it in the ocean and report it missing and nobody would know because these police departments don't communicate with each other yeah that's true and i guess to me i'm like that's crazy that would have been found out but she probably knew that no, no one would she ever knew, find and out that gets to my next point her knowledge of how police investigate crimes is what helped her cover this up mm-hmm. like she may have still committed this crime if she hadn't been a police officer but she certainly would not have been able to get away with it she was mm. able to get away with it because she was a police officer because she knew how they worked the detectives on the case even said that they realized that she had done it because they would have done it the same way well another interesting detail about this new investigation is that even though Sherry's dad told the detectives about Stephanie's continued contact with his daughter, that was not in the original case files. There's a lot of reasons why that could have been omitted from the case files. The first one, pretty obvious. The police that were taking the statement were like, a cop? I'm not going to put that in the report. I'm going to back up whoever this other cop is. Right, my brother in blue. My brother in blue, which is something that they do all the time. All the time. I actually, though, think another plausible reason why that that might not have ended up in the case file is cops stalking people. That's not unusual at all. Like, Mm. I think it's very possible that the police officer that was taking these statements thought it's not uncommon for police officers to engage in some light stalking and some light harassment and heard, oh, yeah, I guess this woman was like harassing this girl, but I don't think she would kill her. So I'm not even going to put it in there. That's so I, true. Harassment and stalking are actually so, so common as a practice of a cop so for their common. own personal reason. I mean, how many times since we started doing this, how many times have you seen comments on like TikTok being like, I'm excited about this, but please stay safe. Yeah, be careful. Like they say people know that cops harass people. People know that cops stalk people. Activists talk about it all of the time that's what i was gonna say i have so many friends who have been who have had cops just show up to their door and yeah. they don't open the door because there's no warrant but they just bang on their door for a few hours so i think it's totally possible that this guy was like yeah i guess this cop stalking this girl maybe it's noteworthy but that happens all the time i'm not gonna put it in the file they, they probably were like i would have done the same thing yeah he's probably like oh yeah i would have i would have stalked my ex oh yeah when my ex got a new, got a new boyfriend oh yeah yeah so, i gave him a hard time 
anyway, that was not in the file. So obviously a lot of shady stuff going on with this case. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, though, the detectives track down a DNA sample from Stephanie to compare to the bite mark DNA, which they were able to find. And sure enough, the results are a match. So when they finally moved to arrest Stephanie, they pulled her into an interview room under the guise of getting her opinion on an art theft case. And then they begin to question her about Sherry's case. And that interview actually leaked. And you can watch it right now on YouTube. Like it is there. I watched some of it. It's a little unsettling because you know she did it. And she's sitting there like, oh no, I I couldn't, I, I don't remember. Which she probably didn't. At this point, it's over 20 years. It's over 20 years and I, that's suppressed. Like, Yeah, that's she probably didn't remember everything. She also had over 20 years to come up with a good story there is this very crazy part where they like are pressing her about like hey like this looks a little bit suspicious and she gets up and walks out and right outside the door they arrest her and walk her right back inside to finish the interview which is like that is kind of something out of a crime tv show yeah and haunting very haunting once the story about stephanie gets out sherry's family went public with their beliefs that the police had helped cover this up among other things they claimed that the investigators had allowed stephanie to look at case notes something that the police deny but if we remember some case notes were missing in addition sherry's family accused the original lapd detectives of trying to mentally and physically intimidate them from pressing the case And this is something we hear about all the time. Right. And precisely why we're not surprised that no one badged an eye. It's Stephanie. Stephanie stalking. Yeah. Stalking. Yeah. After her arrest, Stephanie was allowed to retire early from the LAPD. And I have not found anything about her losing her pension. And because her crimes were not committed on the job, which in the state of California, if they were she would lose her pension because they weren't it's very likely that she still collects her pension which online i saw was $65,000 a year that she is collecting in prison that the taxpayers are paying because i think that that's relevant i think knowing if yeah. these police officers are collecting a pension or not is relevant and in my research most states police officers don't lose their pension when they commit crimes in some states, even if they commit the crimes on the job. The only reason that that's a thing is because of union, because of police unions. Like, Yeah. No, 100%. 100%. No one has a contract that strong. No state employee has a contract that strong. And at some point, we'll need to just talk about how awful these police unions are in general. Anyway, she did not testify in her trial. And the case was very strong against her forensically as well as narratively, which let's be honest, matters in our criminal justice system. Yes. Sometimes it's who could tell the better story, which isn't fair and isn't right, but it is the reality. And here- It's true. And our culture, that's why we have Coffee Again. That's why we have SVU, because our culture yeah. is about- They love a story. They love a story. You know, the prosecutors are sitting here like, yeah, it's a spurned lover. And at this point, it's all over the news. She was ultimately found guilty and was given 27 years. She will be eligible for parole in December 2034. Wow. When we talk about how police are facilitating these crimes, there's a few things we need to talk about. First, going back, Stephanie's roommate when she committed these crimes was a cop. And he knew about the situation between John and Sherry. 
and say he couldn't have done anything to stop the case, to stop the crime. You find out that the person your roommate has been stalking has just been found dead. That doesn't arise some suspicion in you. You're not going to go and talk. You're literally a police officer. You're not going right. to just go to your boss and be like, hey, this is a little sketchy. Yeah, I ah, uh, because I'm like, yeah, why didn't you say something to her as it was going on? Like, this is not acceptable behavior. But I'm like, oh, because you're a cop and cops yeah. are trained. Uh, cops don't know how to prevent crime or stop things from happening. That's not their job. Yeah. And let's be honest, under normal circumstances, if Stephanie's not a police officer, she is the prime suspect. Like, oh, for this sure. investigation goes a completely different way if she's not a police officer. The other thing we need to talk about is the missing evidence. As evidence was introduced in trial, it became apparent that not all of the evidence available and in the possession of the LAPD had been found. Recordings and transcripts of interviews with um, Sherry's father and John that discussed Stephanie were absent from the file, although both remembered when they were called to testify that they had talked about these things in the original investigation. Other pieces of evidence were also missing, like some of the DNA evidence that was collected on the scene. The only mention of Stephanie during the initial investigation is a brief note in the original detective's report that was John confirming that Stephanie was his former girlfriend. That's it. Records also showed that in 1992, shortly after Sherry's father had offered to pay for DNA analysis on the remaining forensic evidence for the case, all samples other than the bite swab DNA sample that might have been helpful in identifying the attacker had been checked out of the coroner's office by a detective. While this appeared to have been part of a routine transfer of records to the LAPD, the evidence could not be located in department files, suggesting the samples were intentionally lost. Mm. Only the bite swab inadvertently left behind at the coroner's office remained to connect Lazarus to the crime. So... This guy walked in, took all the DNA evidence, forgot something, just forgot a piece. And that is the only reason that we have any sort of justice in this case. Had he remembered to grab that DNA, they never would have solved this case. And we don't know what happened to the evidence. We don't know. Stephanie was involved. Right. But Sherry's family thinks that she was. And they sued the LAPD over this. And while the lawsuit was dismissed, it was because the statute of limitations had run out, not because there was lack of evidence. Which is so backwards because there's no statute of limitations on murder. However, when we're talking about crimes committed in order to cover up a murder, then we there's get a statute, statute of limitations. Yeah. There was a second lawsuit around this case. Jennifer Francis, who was the criminal scientist that ran the bite mark DNA that determined that the suspect was a woman, filed a lawsuit against the city stating that after finding that the DNA from the bite belonged to a woman, the LAPD detective supervising her verbally steered her away from Stephanie as a suspect without naming her. She also claims that after telling the assistant DA about this, she was retaliated against by her supervisors. She was forced into therapy. She was taken off cases and transferred to a non-analytical position. And all of this was going on while she was working on very serious cases. Like she worked on the Hillside Strangler, on the Grim Sleeper. Like she was doing criminal investigative work on serial killers 
and they were taking her off of the cases because she was asking too many questions. And the force into therapy part is so crazy. It shows the way therapy is viewed within the force. Like, oh, you're, we're placing you in therapy. That means we're taking you off of things because that means we think you're crazy. I mean, they're harassing her for doing her job and tracing the DNA that they asked her to run. Unfortunately, she did not win her lawsuit. But let's be honest, that was going to be an uphill battle. Those are very, very difficult to prove. Right. Like, that does not mean that she was not harassed. And I'm sure she was. I mean, that's the case. I'd like to share just a little bit more about who Sherry was, just to kind Mm -hmm. of recenter her in this. Like I said earlier, her family talks about how kind she was, how infectious her laugh was, how she was such a family woman. Um, There was a period of time where every year for Christmas, they would go to her grave and bring a Christmas tree so that Mm. they could celebrate with her. They talked about how hardworking of a nurse she was and that she was a giver. Like she gave herself to what she did. And I think it's really sad that someone who was so loved and who was doing so much and who clearly cared about other people is gone. And that in a lot of ways could have been avoided. Or bare minimum, her family could have gotten justice long before they did. I have like really complicated feelings about this whole case. Like, okay, two part. One, John. Part of me wants to go in on him. Like, part of me is like... No, because I think when we're talking about how this could have been avoided, we have to talk about how if he had effectively communicated within his relationships, maybe things would have been different. Right. But then the other part of me is like, okay, this man's wife was murdered. Like, I, I could have I could have some empathy there. And while I think he did a lot of fucked up things... Sherry shouldn't have had to suffer because of that. Sherry shouldn't have had to suffer because of that. And also, like, ugh, I don't know how to phrase this without, like, being... I'm not excusing any of it. But I'm like, men act like this all the time. Yeah. Like, maybe every friend of mine that dates men has a story of a man that they've been involved with for long periods of time that they thought was serious. And then yeah. it turns out they were just messing with them. So, like, well, and when not we talk to about- normalize that, but it is normalized. Yeah. Well, and when we talk about restorative justice, one of the things that you talk about is like making sure these things don't happen again. And part of that is teaching people how to be respectful in their relationships, how to communicate in their relationships, how to handle feelings. Right. I I think Stephanie goes to therapy. This crime is not committed. I th- yeah. I do. I do. And I and I don't know. Maybe it's just because I do try to assume the best intentions in people. I think that Stephanie probably did feel guilty and i i hope she still does i hope she always does she should she took away a from what appears to be a beautiful person from this earth because of her jealousy because she could not handle her feelings but when we talk about how to fix that problem we help people to handle their feelings a lot of crime i mean this is abolition a lot of crime is related to like poverty and situation of circumstance and feelings yes and both of those are things that can be addressed and without police back even further we have a john address his feelings what feelings does he have in order because i'm not going to say you're a horrible person or a disrespectful per- person what things do you need to work through to acknowledge that this is how you want to treat women right? yeah like the, 
without patriarchy, this crime wouldn't have happened. Yeah. No, 100%. And then when we talk about getting into, okay, the crime was already committed. Police just failed all on all counts. And yes, eventually, 20 plus years later, Sherry's family got justice, whatever that right. means. But like, how are the police moving forward to make sure things like this don't happen to make How's sure that crimes are better any further crimes especially how when is, it's 20 years later and we know that she hasn't killed anyone else so how is, how is her stephanie, life stopping any further crimes how is stephanie going to jail helping anyone anyone and i want to be clear in our current system obviously she needs to go to jail but that's not bringing sherry back that's not changing the way the police handle these investigations. And that's not teaching people how to effectively communicate in their relationships. And it's not addressing any of the problems. The needs that Sherry clearly has that need to be met. And because this was happening, like, yeah, I, I just don't, I don't believe in disposing of people because of bad actions. And I don't want to like minimize what she did. She took a life. It's horrible. Yeah. But like, how did we get here and how do we stop it from happening again? Because. Yeah, no, no one is being helped by her being locked away. And I think that does change this case a little bit from the last case with Drew Peterson, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I don't I don't really believe in prison in general as as a theory, you know, in praxis, obviously, someone like Drew Peterson was a was an active threat to right. his community. Stephanie wasn't an active threat to her community. I'm going to be honest. That doesn't yeah. make that doesn't mean she shouldn't be in jail. That's she did a terrible thing but she wasn't an active threat to her community and putting her in jail is not making her community any safer yeah no that's something that i really really think is interesting about this case is that like to me sherry obviously was horribly wrong and that doesn't even begin to describe the act of murder but it's not like Drew Peterson where it's like, oh, you are, a, you're horrible and you will continue to do this and you've done this time and time again and you abuse your power and all this stuff. It's like, no, a crime of passion rooted around like so much like misogyny and like all these complicated things. And then well, 20 and years of nothing. 20 years of nothing. Stephanie works herself into being this community leader in some ways and now this crime that she committed decades ago is tearing her community apart she's a daughter she's a daughter she's a husband Mm. she makes soap for her neighbors and like because of the failings of our justice system because of the failings of our policing because the failings of our society as a whole because i think when we're talking about like effective communicating in relationships, misogyny, things like that. Like those are societal issues. But because of all of those issues, this community is torn apart. Again, 20 years later, because it was torn apart when it's this crime is almost a two-parter because this community was torn apart when Sherry was murdered. And now it's torn apart again when Sherry, I guess, gets justice. But I wonder how her family feels about it. I think that they do, from what I've read, I think they do feel a sense of justice just because they've suspected this all along. Right. Um, so they feel like some closure. They feel like they have some closure. 
and I hope that this has bought them some peace because they deserve Absolutely. that. But and John too. Like I don't want to downplay yeah. how horrible this all must have been for him. Yeah, but it's just it's sad that our society, our justice system, our policing system failed everyone involved in this case. It makes me kind of think of like the harm reduction perspective of it all. Like how could have this been handled? Say we are 20 years later. Like how could have this been handled with the least harm possible? I think this would have been a really good case for them to do some sort of restorative justice model for staff in general. Um, Because I just don't feel like putting her in prison is serving anyone. Um, Well, I mean, she's still collecting a pension one, two, You have to pay like taxpayers are paying to keep people incarcerated. Yeah. So we can look at it from like a monetary perspective. And then we think about like her having a daughter and how that might affect like how that's going to affect your daughter 100 percent. i think this would have been a really great case to see a restorative justice model where she is having to do some sort of restitution towards the family yes she's having to do counseling she's having to go into her community and talk about the things that led her to this mm-hmm. and how things could have been different um and you know i i don't necessarily think that that's something that sherry's family would have wanted because obviously like you want the person that killed your child to go to jail and i get that but it's just something to think about. Yeah. So sad case. Really sad I all around. I really hope that Sherry's family has found some peace. Yeah. I hope she has found peace. Um, and I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see in what, 12 years, whether or not Stephanie gets out on parole mm-hmm. and how this might've changed her. Again, this goes to show you that even good cops can do bad things. It does. And there is still something about a cop serving time when cops put so many people away. I'm like, yeah, you should feel what it's like. You should. You should. Well, I can promise you next week's case is going to be not about a good cop. And we'll I will we will not have as murky of feelings about next week. Ooh, a little but, cliffhanger. Yeah, a little a little cliffhanger for next week. So make sure you're tuning back in. Um, we've been really excited about you all seeming to be excited. I saw some reviews on Spotify. Um, so keep giving us five stars. Or if you don't like us, give us nothing and just ignore the re- review process and just log off. Because we don't need bad reviews. (laughs) We don't need bad reviews. No, I'm really Um, excited. And it feels like there's like building a community around this. Like people have been tagging us and things. And I've been responding or we've been responding to people. Like it's, I can feel it kind of snowballing and growing. And it's really, really exciting. No, and I definitely want to encourage people to tag us in some things. Um, I know we've been getting tagged in like cases that are actively ongoing, which those are a little bit more complicated for us to talk about because personally we don't want to talk about something and not get our facts straight exactly but there are situations where it's important to bring attention to cases so Mm -hmm. as you all see that tag us um obviously we're on tiktok we're working on a twitter and instagram as well Mm -hmm. um in our tiktok bio we have the link tree where there's the google form for you all to submit cases 
we have a lot of cases to get through, but we also want to talk about cases that you all care about or that you all want to draw attention to. Maybe there's something happening in your community. So let us know. But that's it for this week. And thank Thank you all for for listening. listening. And we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye.